Welcome to the Watershed Podcast. Watershed is the senior high ministry of Perimeter Church, where it is our desire to serve senior high students and their families by helping them navigate life in the changing world around them. Listen and be encouraged. Uh, I just want to give uh, the Lord some credit first, so we're going to open up in the word prayer, and then we're going to get started. God, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity that we have this week to come and learn about you, God. Thank you so much for all these people that showed up. Thank you so much for every single talent we have on the servant team. Thank you so much for all the leaders that drove however many hours to get here. Lord, please help my words to be your words. Please let anything that is from me and not from you to fall away from memory and not be written on the hearts and the minds of the people here. But Lord, please help your words be imprinted in memory and on the heart that it won't fade away. Um, forgive the sins of the speaker for there are many. God, um, I'm a broken vessel, but please help this broken vessel be able to deliver your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name's Will Moody. I went to, hey, I went to Westland High School and I'm now going to Mississippi State in the fall. I'm a graduating senior. Hell State. Um, and so when they first told us that we were having tension as our theme, the thing that automatically came to my mind was football because I was currently playing football and that pretty much dominated my mind. So the first day I ever went into a football workout, I was in ninth grade and I was pretty scrawny. I'd never really been in the gym before. I was pretty nervous. There's a bunch of really big, strong guys in there and I'm just little ninth grade Will, and we get in the gym, and we start doing something called a form day, and we're working on hang cleans. And for those of you who've ever lifted weights, a hang clean is a very, very technical lift. It involves a lot of moving parts, and it's really, really hard to pull off correctly. And if you can actually do it right, you can gain up to five to 10 pounds on your lifts, other than brute force. So needless to say, I'm a freshman. I'm not really working out. I'm not good at it. I'm messing the form up. And you would think that would mean that I would have an easy workout. But our strength coach, Coach Wolf, liked to make sure that we remember to do the right form. And so I did a lot of punishment push-ups for not having the right form on the hang clean. So I was starting to get pretty sore. I was thinking, I'm not going to be able to do any of this right. This is going to be so hard. But as soon as I finally get through my last set of punishment push-ups, we go outside and we go to the baseball field. At this point, it's, it's hot. We're running. It's like 100 degrees. I'm sweating. Everyone else is sweating. People start to throw up. It's gross. It's nasty. No one's having fun. It's football. <laughs> so we go out, and I remember my coach looking at me and saying, this guy's, and you have to get to know my coach first. Coach Wolf was a very short man. He's about 5'6". He's probably 220 pounds, real stocky guy. He had a really high-pitched voice that haunts me to this day. <laughs> so he looked me in the eyes and said, Moody, this one you can do. When it's hard, that's how you know you're going to do it right. When it's hard, that's how you know you're going to do it right. So what do these things called band runs? Basically, what a band run is, is you have a, uh, a belt connected to a guy on the other end, and the guy on the other end is supposed to be the anchor, and he's supposed to hold you in tight and not let you go. And the band has tension, and 
and you're running as hard and fast as you can against that tension of the band, and you're pulling him. And sure enough, coach was right. I did it very, very right that day because it was very hard. So I'm running with this kid, and the kid I'm running with, his name was Drew Ritter. Drew Ritter was not a big kid. He was about 125 pounds, and little freshman Will was about 200 pounds. So I look over at Drew, and I'm like, Drew, I'm dying over here, man. You got to give me some relief on this band. And Drew, considering I'm his anchor, is like almost passed out on the ground. He's like, I can help you, man. I can help you. So the next time around, we go, and I've got the band on my waist, and Drew's behind me, and I take off, and I'm running, and Drew's not really resisting me. So I'm thinking, okay, all right, I'm going to make the coach proud one time in my life. Let's go. And I look back behind my shoulder, and I am water skiing Drew Ritter on his face (laughs) in the middle of the baseball field. And I did a lot of more punishment push-ups for that. But I want to go back to what Coach Wolf said, though. If it's hard, you know you're doing it right. Now, the other speakers, Mark, James, and Kara, have all been talking out of Romans. They've been talking about Paul's inner struggle and Romans 21 or 721 through 8, whatever. And Mark starts out, he starts out early. He starts out early in the verse. He's got like 19 through 24, and he's really just introducing this idea that tension is something that's between two objects, there's two opposing forces. Kara comes in and clears it up a little bit. She says, I want you guys to remember this. She says, tensions enters through birth. Now remember that, I'm going to come back to that. She said, tension enters through birth. All right? And James last night did a really, really good job And he was talking about how we are born into the battle of tension and how that tension is going to exist for the rest of our lives internally. So I want to go back to the verse, uh, Romans 7.21, and read through it. And I think it's a very powerful verse because it really describes Paul's inner struggle. Now, a little background on Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament in books. He didn't actually write the most words in the New Testament. That was Luke. But Paul wrote the most books in the New Testament. He's considered to be one of the foremost evangelists we've ever had in the Christian faith. He's had thousands upon thousands of converts in the early days when they were still persecuted, even though he persecuted Christians himself. Now, this man says this. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being... I delight in God's law, but I see another another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the laws of my mind, making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from the body of death. Now, this doesn't sound like a guy who's writing most of the New Testament. This sounds like someone who's really, really struggling And that's because he is really, really struggling. Now, I don't have to convince you guys this. I think most of you, you guys, the youngest of you guys are going to be in rising seventh graders, rising sixth graders, right? I don't think I have to convince you that life is hard. You've lived enough life to know that. You know that there are going to be struggles. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. But I'm here to tell you something. It's not going to go away. 
That's one of the few guarantees you can truly make in life is that it will get harder. And there's something else I need to tell you. If you're not a Christian and you're looking at us and thinking that life's gonna get easier, I hate to have to tell you that it's not. It's actually gonna get harder. God does not promise us an easy road through this life, but he makes it bearable by telling us something else. Now we're gonna go ahead and go into Romans 8, or Romans 8 verse one, and it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you guys understand what the word condemnation means, but I like to think of it, when you condemn a building, it's no longer fit for use. We were no longer fit for use, but now we are still being able to be used as broken vessels. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. He took it for us. He was our sacrifice so that we can win this internal struggle, this internal struggle that's gonna last until we die. And that's another thing I can guarantee you guys is gonna happen. Everybody is gonna die. That's just a fact of life. It doesn't, you don't know if it's tomorrow. You don't know if it's 80 years from now. You don't know if it's 100 years from now with advances in medical science, who knows? But you're gonna die. But look at that eternally. The thought of eternity really scares me because it's hard for me to understand it. I don't like it when I can't understand something. You know, we like to think of stuff in in a time frame, right? So 110 years is a long time. It's like a, a fifth of the Roman Empire, you know? It might be longer than you and your children live combined. But in eternities, uh viewpoint, it is a minuscule measurement. Our math teacher did this thing where he took a mile and he like had it on a whiteboard, something that acted like a mile. And he said, this is a mile. This is what a mile looks like. And then what he did is he started scaling it back by scale, up, upping the scale by an, like an inch at a time or then a meter at a time. And by, by the time he got to where it was two meters, the mile was a dot. We th- see things differently than God sees things. This suffering we have on earth is only temporary. God sent his son to win the war, which he has done. He won. Let that sit for a minute. He won. How many times do we have to fight battles every day? All the time, right? We can look past that. It's kind of like this. Say if you're, on a para- if you're on an airplane and the flight attendant goes, here's a parachute. You're thinking, awesome, I have a parachute. Let's put that with the rest of my carry-on luggage so I can keep watching movies on my iPhone. But think about it this way. What if the flight attendant says, listen, this plane's gonna crash. And we know it's gonna crash. We've had an engine failure. 
here's your parachute. We didn't know what time in the flight it's gonna crash, but this bird's going down. You're gonna hold on to that parachute for dear life, right? That's your lifeline. That's what we have. That's the internal struggle. That, that's how we should view the internal struggle as not something that is current, but as something that's a destination, something that we can look and see and reference. There's something else we've gotta know about. There's also an external struggle. And I'm gonna use a little bit of an illustration to describe this external struggle. Back in World War II, during the Battle of the Bulge, the Americans and the Allied forces had pretty much won the war. They had already had D-Day, they had already had Stalingrad, two major turning points, and the Germans were defeated. They had no earthly way to win the war. So Hitler went to his war generals, and as deranged as he was, he decided to do one last plan of attack to try to burn up, destroy, and kill as many of the Allies as he possibly could and it was called the Battle of the Bulge. What he did was he took all of his forces and he focused them on one point, what he thought to be the weakest link in the Allied army, and he really just pressed and pressed at it and kept pushing them back. The Allied army, they just accepted the blows. They were waiting. They thought, well, Hitler's gonna run out of steam. You know, he's gonna run out of gas, he's gonna run out of bullets, he's gonna lose. That's what the bigwigs thought. But the men on the front lines, they didn't think that. They were getting shot at, and they didn't like it very much. So as the story goes, there's a young private, and he's, and he's just on the front lines doing his thing. And there's also a general. This general comes riding up on his Jeep, and he's looking around, and he sees this private. And what this private's doing is he's digging a foxhole, and he's digging it deep, and he's making it good. He's got his walls up. He's got it sandbagged. He's got his ammunition next to his water, next to his bandages, and he's cleaning his gun, and he's getting ready for war. And the reason the general was so surprised by this is they'd been retreating for about a month. So that he, all the other soldiers knew they were going to retreat. Yet this man still dug his foxhole and dug in and waited for Hitler's advances. The general got out of his Humvee or his Jeep and stepped down, got in the nasty French soil, and looked at the private and said, yeah, you've seen Saving Private Ryan. It doesn't look fun. He got down and looked at the, the young private and said, son, why are you digging that foxhole so good? Aren't you gonna, don't you know we're going to retreat? The young private looked back up and said, sir, I don't think we should retreat anymore. I think we should stop Hitler here. It's as good as place as any. The general looked back at him and looked back at the nasty French soil again that's on his boots now. And they looked at all the other soldiers who were just sitting, waiting, just waiting for something to happen, for him to give the order. He looked back out and said, son, you're right. Everyone dig in and get ready for the Germans. And as the story goes, that's where the Battle of the Bulge stopped. That's where the Hitler's advance was cut off and that's when the allies pushed him back into Germany and won the war. That's kind of like what we're dealing with. We have an enemy like Hitler. He's here to kill, steal, and destroy. And it says that in the Bible. If you don't believe he's real, then you're sadly mistaken. We are attacked daily by Satan. That's just a fact. We're in a war. And we have to fight these battles and we have to sit in this tension 
until God comes and gets us and eases our tension. Because remember how I talked to you about how tension exists as through, uh, it came in with birth, what exits the same way it came in. It came in, it exits through death. When we die, if we're a Christian, our bodies are made perfect. Our fleshly desires are removed. We have no more desires to do what we hate. We all have to fight battles. But it's just like that, the band with the football. You know, it makes us better. It makes us stronger. It makes us willing to fight more. We, you know, we were the, one of the best conditions teams that we, we played in football. I remember our first game my senior season, we were doing those band runs, and we would do them all day, every day, and it was horrible, and I hated it. And I really didn't like our coach for that, and I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and we went down to Seminole County. And for those of you who don't know where Seminole County is, Seminole County is in the Georgia-Florida border, and it's hot. And there are a lot of gnats. And it, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There are a lot of gnats. And they get up in your hair and your helmet when you're playing, and it's gross, and I hated it. But when it came time for the fourth quarter and we were down by 14 points, we had the conditioning to come back and win. And that's what that band does. It makes us stronger. It makes us ready to fight. But I remember we're sitting where you guys are sitting, sitting in the crowd and thinking, gosh, I'm never going to be that strong. I'm never going to be able to go up on stage and talk. I'm still not, you know, I'm just one of you guys. I'm just a kid. I'm 19. I like to drink Monster and stay up late and play video games, you know? My room is a wreck. You can ask my parents, they're here, you know? And as much as I hate to say this, I'm not a perfect person. You know, I struggle, I fight. Guess what? We gotta start digging our foxholes. We gotta start standing up. You know, but we don't, we don't dig foxholes like this. Our enemy is not of flesh and blood. Our enemy is of the spirit. We don't, we don't fight on our feet, but we gotta fight on our knees. We gotta dig our foxholes like this. Dear God, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to come and speak. God, please help my words to be used, Lord. Please help them to be delivered to this crowd, Lord, and that they would forever imprint it on their minds and their hearts if it was yours, Lord. Please help anything that I said that wasn't from you to fade away. And please help what was from you, well, that it would stay and it would simmer. And they would think about it as they go to their small groups, and they would think about it as they go into the concert of prayer, especially for those who are not believers, Lord, that they would think about it and how they would like to think about being on the winning team, God. There's always an open invitation. Your hand's always out. All you gotta do is take that first step to dig the foxhole. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Watershed Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at 9500 Medlock Bridge Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at watershedministry.org for more information. Thank you.